parenting, grandparenting, retirement, holidays, marriage, divorce. I'd say at least one of those things is relevant to each one of us who are here this afternoon. And perhaps you feel let down by one or some of those things. It occurs to me that we live in a world that is filled with unsatisfied people. And often it's those things or the lack there of them that we feel are letting us down. The sex, the money, the work isn't coming through. And I wonder if you've noticed this. When this happens, we'll often do one of two things. We might blame the object and then move on to another. A new job, a new life partner. Surely the next one will be better or we can just become a little miserable. Life isn't all that I imagined it to be when I was young and idealistic and we become the grumpy older person who actually might still be quite young, a teenager even, jaded by the reality of this life. Uh, C.S. Lewis has got a book called uh, Mere Christianity and a little chapter on hope. And he says this, most people if they had really learned to look into their own hearts, they would know that they do want and want acutely something that cannot be had in this world. He says there are all sorts of things in this world that offer to give it to you, but they never quite keep their promise. The longing which arises in us when we first fall in love or first think of some foreign country, or first take up some object that excites us, a longings which no marriage, no travel, no learning can really satisfy. He goes on, I'm not now speaking of what would be ordinarily called unsuccessful marriages or holidays or careers. I'm speaking of the best possible ones. There was something we grasped at in that first moment of longing which just fades away in the reality. He says, I think everyone knows what I mean. The wife may be a good wife. And the hotels and scenery may have been excellent. And the chemistry may be a very interesting job. But something has evaded us. I wonder if that resonates with you in in some way or another or do you feel completely satisfied right now? This afternoon we're diving back into the first century. We picture Jesus sitting down by a well, obviously tired from the journey, dirty, sweaty, smelly, thirsty. He's headed to Galilee. We're we're told he's travelling through Samaria, and you may or may not know that Jesus is a Jew and the Jews and the Samaritans don't get on. Uh, The Samaritans were sort of like half-caste Jews and typically a Jew wouldn't go through Samaria, they'd go all the way around. We're told that it's the middle of the day and this woman, she turns up to draw water. Jesus is a Jew, we know that Jews don't speak with Samaritans. 
Actually, we know that Jewish men don't talk to strange women in public. In fact, a devout Jewish man, he may not even talk to his own wife in public. And this particular woman who's there drawing water uh, from the well, uh, on her own, in the middle of the day, it suggests that she's socially isolated. The, the women, when they would go to get the water, they would typically go early or late to avoid the heat of the day. Uh, and they'd go together. It was a community activity, but she's alone and it's the heat of the day. This woman is isolated by her race and her religion. She's a Samaritan. She's isolated by her gender and we know later from her morality too. She's even been rejected by her own people. This is a woman right on the margins of society, probably not feeling so satisfied with life. Now, I don't know if you consider yourself to be someone who's uh, good at following etiquette. Um, I remember when I first met Jen, I told her that I was planning to write a book on etiquette. I was sort of half-joking. Uh, she said to me, you shouldn't do that. Uh, apparently, I was breaking all kinds of etiquette rules that I knew nothing about at the time. Uh, we're trying to teach our kids etiquette, table manners. You, you notice here, Jesus, he breaks all the etiquette. He breaks the rules. He speaks to this woman in verse 7 and he says, will you give me a drink? Her response is what we would expect. You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask? You can't ask. Enough said. But Jesus' response, this is verse 10 in your handout. He says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. As is really common in these encounters with Jesus in John's gospel, all of a sudden we're talking about something much bigger than just a drink of water. I mean, living water sounds generous. What is it? Jesus says it's the gift of God. It's not something earned. It's gifted by God. Its source is Jesus. Who's it for? For all those who ask, but what is this living water? The, the, the woman gets at least a hint of what's going on. In verse 12, she responds, Are you greater than our, our father Jacob who gave us this, this well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? I mean, she's still thinking of actual water, but to claim to be greater than Jacob, that's a big thing. Jacob's a, a huge name for the Israelites, God's people of old. In fact, Jacob is the one whose name was changed to Israel and his 12 sons became the 12 tribes of Israel. But Jesus is claiming much, much more than just being greater than Jacob. What is this living water? Jesus goes on, verse 13 and 14, Every, everyone who drinks this water, this water, the well, will be thirsty again. That's how it works. How many glasses a day are we meant to have? But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. 
That's a vivid picture, isn't it? We need water for life. We take it for granted as we turn our taps on, as Jen was saying, as, as we carry around our little water bottles, as we have hundreds of millimetres of rain in just a day yesterday, even as some, some of us water our lawns just so they can look nice. But the day where running water wasn't the norm and in that very hot and arid Middle Eastern environment, it's such a powerful illustration. You know what it is to be thirsty. You know what it is to be thirsty. And Jesus is talking about that deeper thirst. A thirst that we all have. A thirst that only he can quench by him for all those who ask a spring of water welling up to eternal life now you notice that the woman she still doesn't get it verse 15 give me this water so i don't have to keep coming back to the well but jesus shows her that he knows her better than she knows herself and he points to her real problem Verse 16 to 18, he told her, go and get your husband and come back. I've got no husband, she says. You're right, you have no husband, he says. You've had, you, you've had five husbands and the bloke you're with now is not your husband. What you have said is very true. They've never met. But Jesus knows her. He knows everything about her. What is he doing? This is the woman on the fringes. You imagine the community having a go at her. Oh, yeah, there she is with another bloke again. Yet another husband. Is he having a go? No. It seems he's showing her how she's been seeking to fulfill her thirst, treating men as though they can satisfy. You imagine the high hopes on yet another wedding day. This time will be better than the last. This time, this bloke, he's going to come through. It was it security she was seeking? This is a culture where it's really important to be, to be married for security. Was it about being loved? Did, did one man after another after another cast her aside? Did one after another die? We're not given those details. Uh, David Foster Wallace, he, he said, everyone worships. Everyone worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. He says, if you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you'll never have enough, never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before your loved ones finally plant you. Worship power and you will end up feeling weak and afraid and you'll never, and you will need even more power over others to numb your own fear. 
worship your intellect and wanting to be seen as smart and you'll end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. Look, he says, the insidious thing about these forms of worship is not that they are evil or sinful, it is that they are unconscious. They are our default settings. And maybe we could add to his list of things that we might worship. David Foster Wallace was not a religious person at all. And sadly, a couple of years after saying those words, he took his own life. What did he say? The compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God to worship is that pretty much everything else you worship will eat you alive. You can go from one thing to another thing, yet another job, yet another person, yet another relationship. Or or you can become like the jaded older person. You know, life isn't all that I imagined it to be. Or the third way, you can take Jesus up on his offer. Verse 14, whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. It's not the thirst for natural water, is it? It's the thirst for God, for eternal life in the presence of God. And the thirst is met not by removing this aching desire, but by by the outpouring of God the Holy Spirit. You hand your life to Christ. You seek your satisfaction in him and and his plans. I don't know if you know, if you've heard this story before, it's not in your handout, but as the, the narrative progresses, this woman who is on the margins of society, she goes back to her town and she tells her community, Come and see this man who told me everything I ever did. And on the basis of her testimony, many believe. They come out to meet Jesus and they say to the woman in verse 42 of this same chapter, they say, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. It occurs to me that we live in a world filled with unsatisfied people. And lots of people are just putting on the brave face. This afternoon, I simply want to encourage you to find find your satisfaction in Jesus. Uh, In his chapter on hope in mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis says, If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. The the Bible's clear claim is that this life is just the beginning and Jesus is the source of this living water that wells up to life eternal, which begins today and goes on forever. It's for all those who ask. It's a gift of God and Jesus is the source. Uh, If you haven't thought about this before, I I really want to encourage you to keep thinking about it. 
Uh, there's a QR code on that handout. You can use that and just click the box. I, I want to think more about Christianity and, and we'll follow you up. And if you're someone who has put your trust in Jesus already, can I encourage you, when you're tempted to buy a new toy and seek satisfaction in that, or find some new relationship and seek satisfaction in that, remember where true satisfaction comes from. Not the new lawnmower, but in Jesus. Let's pray. Uh, Dear Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the way that Jesus related to that Samaritan woman, a woman on the margins, a woman who would not have been satisfied in any way. Lord, we thank you that, like her, we can find our satisfaction in you and that in Jesus we have life now but also life eternal. Lord God, I pray that each one here would know this and we pray too, Lord, that many, many people in our region would find satisfaction in Jesus, our King. And we pray in his great name. Amen.